The first reading is from the Book of Lamentations, the third chapter, verses 19 through 16, it says here. So that's wrong, but anyway, it's on, if you'd like to follow along, it's printed on the back of the announcements. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, as we both hear and read these ancient words, may we hear your, ver- your word for us this day. Amen. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the holy never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in God. God is good to those who wait for the holy, to the soul that seeks God. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Our second reading this morning is from the second letter to Timothy, the first chapter, verses 1 through 14. And you'll also find that in the back of your announcements if you'd like to follow along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Creator and Christ Jesus. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed, then, of the testimony about Christ Jesus or of me, his prisoner, But join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to God's own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death 
and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason, I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that one is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Here ends our reading. After about an hour on US 151 North, I pulled into the grounds of New Mallory Abbey, just outside of Dubuque, Iowa. What possesses one to set out at dusk, driving down icy roads alone, and to keep going for a 10-minute service of evening prayer? My body became increasingly weary as more deer carcasses appeared with each mile marker but I had already set my course. Please let me arrive safely, I prayed to the car, to my body, to the quiet. We can do this. You're okay, they answered back. I was still shaking as I parked and made my way through the solid wooden doors. Like a soothing cup of tea, the smell of incense greeted me, and with it, memories of visits prior, of the monk who kept the gift shop, of the prayers made as the censer swung back and forth through the space each evening. New Mallory Abbey is home to a community of Trappist monks who sustain themselves in work, silence, and prayer. They work the land, giving them food to eat, organic apples from the orchard, and vegetables from the green garden. They welcome guests as they would welcome the Christ, practicing hospitality for people who come for a variety of reasons and who observe a variety of spiritual traditions, offering them acceptance, a place to rest, and prayer. Part of their income is from caskets they build using wood from the surrounding trees. So while perusing icons and mugs and caramels made by sisters down the road, one can also take in the quiet artistry of the brothers' caskets. Everything at New Mallory reverences the quiet, even the light. When I arrived that evening, a nightlight shone the way through the gift shop, past the caskets, and to the doors of the sanctuary. As they close behind you, it's like entering a tomb. Dark, quiet, each shuffle, each clearing of a throat echoes 
across stone walls reaching 49 feet high. My eyes met the outline of simple pews waiting for the handful of visitors who might come. I wondered at the monks' choir stalls and an organ that looked like an enlarged, upright piano between their space and ours. And as I took a seat next to someone with what I imagined to be the spirit of a nun, I was captivated by the light of a single candle suspended from above. Amazed that a single flame could be so bright, so precious, bold. We sat in silence as the monks made their way in for another day's closing service of Compline, waiting with them until the bells rang. Out of the darkness, their voices rose. A guest once observed how strange she found it, that the psalms the monks chanted at night were so dreary. How could they chant them each evening before bed, and then rise again at three and chant more? Psalms about deep distress, pleading for reprieve from God's anger, yearning for joy to come in the morning. But hearing their voices melding, tenors harmonizing, the acoustic guitar joining, and the flame persisting above, it didn't feel dreary. It was filled with unity and hope, all the more poignant against the backdrop of the night. Gathered in the tomb, there was a breaking through of the loneliness known moving through life. It was like drinking fresh water or breathing again. In this place of silence and intimacy, a gentleness met the fears and the, and the failures. Acknowledging the mistakes, there was a letting go of the day and a reimagining with visions of becoming new wine and renewed possibility for tomorrow, sustained by God. Before silence befell once more, the great mother of all, our sweetness and our hope, sent us gently off to bed as the brothers sang Salve Regina and requested her protection through the night. I can still hear the gravel beneath my feet as I re-entered the quiet of the grounds, the single flame lighting my way home. There is something of the mystery of this night, the power of gathering, especially in the dark, that for me connects to World Communion Sunday. Conceived by a Presbyterian minister, the year after the stock market crash of 1929, World Communion Sunday began in the midst of the Great Depression. It was a call for unity, 
a reminder of our interconnectedness across congregations throughout the country and eventually around the globe. Without this context, World Communion Sunday can feel like a superficial celebration, and readings from Lamentations and 2 Timothy feel clumsily chosen. But like the candle surrounded by darkness, in times of despair and loss, unity is the prayer longed for, gentleness in the night. The Psalms of Compline could easily be paired with the poems of profound loss in Lamentations. Grieving the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem and the suffering of war, the poet's lament is unending. Her enveloping despair makes the glimmer of hope in our reading shine brighter. She has had the whole of her life weighed down by afflictions, including the loss of her home. But in the moment, out from under the wet blanket of sorrow, she has remembered something to hold on to. Whether or not she is in some way responsible for the realities she is now living with, what she knows is that the steadfast love of God never ceases. God's mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. And at least for this moment, she is able to rest in the hope of the morning. Sounds like the hope of New Mallory Abbey. When I think of the suffering endured by the ancient communities of Christians, those seen as a threat by the Romans, those inspired by Paul, who continued to write in his voice to, to Timothy, I wonder if, at times, they felt like they had to set out at dusk, driving down icy roads alone, made increasingly weary as death surrounded them with each mile marker. But they had already set their course. I imagined them as Timothy, still shaking as they listened for their mentor's guidance, and as he invoked the memory of their mother, grandmother, ancestors, I imagined strength greeting them like a soothing cup of tea, enlivened by their mentor witnessing what they respect most, living within them. I imagined them tapping into the daring single flame suspended in the darkness, united across time and space in hope. Each week we gather, reaching through loneliness and heartache, showing up for a variety of reasons, steeped in a variety of spiritual traditions, and we are offered acceptance a place to rest, and unity in prayer. We discover anew we are not so alone, even if just for a moment we are reminded of the flame, bold and holy, each of us carries across this earth. And there lives hope.
Amen.